Welcome to the Book of Mormon podcast, where it's all about uncovering questions, thoughts, and discoveries in your own personal Book of Mormon study. I know it seems crazy, but for over four years, I've been writing out the Book of Mormon, word for word, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph. It's amazing what we can learn when we slow down and give space for personal revelation and insights beyond our normal reading pace. I'm Susan Gardner, a convert, a cyclist, and a Zuma to eight amazing grandkids. Come with me as we unveil new perspectives and understanding as I continue to write out the Book of Mormon. Hello, hello, everybody. I'm your host, Susan Gardner, and you're listening to Writing the Book of Mormon Podcast, Episode 7. Today, we'll pick up where we left off last week. From Helaman in Chapter 5, verses 6-12, through 12, remember we put together an abbreviated list of Helaman's specific teachings to his sons. I will quickly read off the eight-point abbreviated list we talked about in last week's podcast. In case you don't catch the list, you can find it on our Writing the Book of Mormon Facebook page. So, let's go. Number one, keep the commandments. Number two, remember who you are. Number three, do good. Number four, don't boast. Number five, Christ has the authority and power to forgive sins through repentance. Six, make your foundation in Christ. Seven, the devil will send great trials. And eight, you will be delivered. You know, when I look at this chapter in Helaman, it reminds me of days long, long ago when I was selecting classes for my college courses. I remember seeing certain subjects had the distinction of being a macro class or a micro class. For example, biology or economics, studied on a larger scale, would be a macro class, while taking a class with more specific focus would be listed as a micro class. As I read through this chapter, I see the macro verses are verses 14 through 21 and the micro verses 22 through 52. I see verses 14 through 21 as macro because we read about Nephi and Lehi's missionary experience in a general way. As we read, we seem to be given the bigger picture. We have been given some information about who and how they were taught. First, we know that they were preaching to Lamanites and Nephite dissenters. They taught with great power and authority to speak, but also they were inspired what they should speak. When we read they were so successful, there were 8,000 that were astonished by what they were taught. So much so, they repented of their sins, were convinced the traditions of their fathers were wicked, and baptized. They turned to the Lord, returned to their homes, and did all they could to repair the wrongs which they had done. All this information is good. These verses give us a general idea of their experience. However, nothing is revealed that is close up or personal. But 8,000 converts? Wow, can you imagine the size of that cloud nine they must have been on? I bet they got an A in that macro class. Wow, something to think about anyway. But anyway, let's, let's look at the list. Which bit of advice would seem to apply here? Hmm, well, I was thinking they must have done a great job of remembering one through four. So let's explore those a little bit. The first one is keep the commandments. That line is said so many times, occasionally I forget all that it entails. Such a short sentence for an all-encompassing statement, don't you think? No wonder Helaman put this first on his list. Although this straightforward charge to keep the commandments is repeated throughout the scriptures, it does not waver on its promise. One of the promises that is often connected to the commandment is what? You got it. 
ye shall prosper in the land. Prospering in the land had always brought to my mind getting more temporal things, becoming wealthier, increasing the size and quality of all that surrounds me in my physical world. This past week, I remember I was discussing this topic with my sister-in-law. She shared an insight I hadn't considered before. She said being prosperous didn't always mean an increase in physical riches. It included spiritually prospering as well. As I thought about Nephi and his brother teaching longtime enemies and those that left the church, I looked at Helaman's admonishment number two, remember who you are. Remembering who you are can be a sobering reminder of not only what kind of person you are, but also a reminder of the people you've come from. Most all were very righteous, stalwart people. However, there was also a rebellious family member that left the church. In fact, this family member and his buddies were described as the very vilest of sinners. This was Nephi and Lehi's great-grandfather. We know him as Alma the Younger. Because of this connection to their past, I picture these missionaries teaching each Lamanite and Nephite dissenter with a clear personal understanding of what an impact true conversion can have on generations. Lehi and Nephi chose to keep the commandments. For them, learning the law of Moses was a type or shadow of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was more than just a Sunday school lesson to them. It was a family tradition. They were taught from records of holy prophets, one of which contained teachings of King Benjamin, another descendant relative. Because of their extensive history of learning, they understood long before I did, prospering in the land went way beyond any temporal blessing. They reaped the promise of spiritually prospering, one of which is rejoicing and being filled with the love towards God and all men. Now for number four, don't boast. This one has always been a no-brainer for me. Can you imagine after seeing 8,000 converts repent and baptized, turning their lives to Christ, wouldn't it be tempting to start thinking you were the reason for all the success? You were one of the best missionaries to have ever walked the promised land. On the contrary, I think they were joyful so much good was happening around them that they remembered they came from great people and kept the commandments. I don't think Nephi and Lehi thought it an option to boast. I would love to stay here for a while and bask in the glory of success. However, like Nephi and Lehi, we've got to move on. Verse 20, it says, And it came to pass that Nephi and Lehi did proceed from thence to go to the land of Nephi. Verse 20 is also the verse I see that divides the macro class from the micro class in the missionary adventure of Lehi and Nephi, if you will. Verse 20 is also the verse that taught me the idea of a decision space. You see that area with no letters or words in it between verse 20 and 21? I saw that space as a point of time where a pivotal decision was made. To make those moments stand out to me as I read, I drew a simple rectangle in that empty spot and filled it with red. This became my symbol for a decision space. When I look through the pages of my Book of Mormon composition book, each red rectangle I see reminds me the importance of decision-making and how often it occurs. I discovered each decision had to be made before the rest of the story could be told. We'll talk about decision spaces more as we continue to explore the Book of Mormon. So, anyway, continuing on, verse 21, it says, 
and it came to pass that they were taken by an army of the Lamanites and cast into prison. I found a question I had written down after this verse. The question was, did they even pray about this decision? When I imagine how happy and confident they must have felt on the way to the land of Nephi, after experiencing so much success only to be met by hostile Lamanites, that must have been quite a shock. You know what I wonder? I wonder if they ever questioned the decision they made to venture to the land of Nephi as they were being dragged to prison. Have you ever felt like that? Made a decision, went forward with it, and then immediately questioned your choice? Hmm, I know I have. Verse 22. And after they had been cast into prison many days without food, behold, they went forth into the prison to take them that they might slay them. Whoa, that went south fast. I learned a lot from verse 22. Not only did it put the brakes on my rejoicing and happiness, but also this was my first experience noticing how the value of time plays a great part in what we are being taught in the scriptures. When we read, it's important to always consider time. Realize time passed for those that we're reading about, just like time passes for you and I. For example, in this verse it reads, Many days without food. That whole event is compressed into a simple phrase. We don't know the exact amount of days that are described as many, but I bet it's longer than I've ever gone without food. Let's give space for the feeling of hunger. That feeling of hunger, I understand personally, is only a kind of hungry because I chose not to eat, not because I wasn't being fed on purpose. When we consider a situation that brings with it a feeling of hunger that continues day after day, all the while not knowing if you're ever going to eat again, add it to sitting inside a prison, we're just beginning to understand a circumstance. Now, as we consider the phrase, many days without food, now we can see more than hunger. We think of neglect and abuse. Add hunger, neglect, and abuse, being in a prison, and the very real possibility of being executed. Shafts in the whirlwinds. Remember Helaman's warning to his sons? When the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, yea, his shafts in the whirlwind, Yea, when all his hail and his mighty storm shall beat upon you. Number seven, the devil will send great trials. Helaman knew there would be hard times. I hope all they suffered, they also remembered the promise they would not be dragged down to the gulf of misery and endless woe. We cannot be sure what triggered the next event, but whatever it was, I'm thankful it happened. Verse 23, and it came to pass that Nephi and Lehi were encircled about as if by fire, even insomuch that they durst not lay their hands upon them for fear they should be burned. Nevertheless, Nephi and Lehi were not burned, and they were as standing in the midst of fire and were not burned. They did not fall. They were delivered. Number eight. Reviewing this list of remembers, we can see Helaman's admonishments to his sons were like precursors to what laid ahead for Nephi and Lehi. We have witnessed how direction to remember specific doctrine has blessed lives long before the need it seemed imperative. I've had those experiences when I've received inspired blessings for new positions in the church or blessings that were given to me as a personal request. 
I've noticed not all the counsel I received in that blessing was put to action immediately. It was applied much later. Other times, ensuing years proved the same counsel directed me in different ways. Inspired direction is different than simply good advice. I believe having a witness we are directed by heaven helps us better navigate our course with confidence on earth. You might have noticed we didn't highlight number five, the doctrine that teaches Christ has authority and power to forgive sins through repentance. Next week, we'll attend a micro-like class. We'll witness up close and more personal the beautiful process of repentance. I'm so looking forward to next week's time we'll spend together in verses 28 through 52 in the fifth chapter of Helaman. So much awesome happens there. And we get to meet one of my favorite unsung heroes, Abinadab. Woohoo! It's important to discover it first. No, it's not important to discover it first. It's more important to discover it for yourself. Slow pace gives space. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend who also loves the Book of Mormon. And if you're on Facebook, be sure to like our page and join our community. You type in writing the Book of Mormon dash discussion group. This will keep you up to date and current with new topics and conversations surrounding our study. I do appreciate you and I hope you have an amazing day.